Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy this sermon podcast. It is so good to be here with you today. I'm so excited to get back into the book of Ephesians as we're now in our second week. The series title is Ephesians in Him, Experiencing the Love of God in the Work of Christ. And the title of today's message is Blessed in Christ. And we're gonna be looking at Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 10. Now remember, as we hear this, that this is coming from a prison cell. This is a prison epistle. And yet, Paul seems intoxicated uh, with the gospel and the life of the spirit. You, you, don't hear, uh, you don't hear any sadness or sorrow. You just hear uh, this electrifying joy that he has in the gospel. So keep that in mind as we, as we read this text. Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Would you pray with me, friends, as we dive into this text today? Father, we pray the prayer of David. Open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word today. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so Paul talks about this blessing that we have in Christ. And what I wanna do today is I wanna, I wanna look at three questions. Number one, where is the blessing? Number two, what is it? What is the blessing? And number three, why? Why would God do it? Why would God offer this blessing? So where is it? What is it? And then why? Where is this blessing found? Where do we get it? Everybody wants to be blessed. We, we spend our whole lives seeking to be blessed, seeking to be fulfilled, seeking to be satisfied. And right here, Paul is saying, you have it. But where? Where is the spiritual geography where we are ultimately and finally blessed? It's in verse three. He says, who has blessed us in Christ. The spiritual location where we are blessed is in him, it's in Jesus Christ. This phrase in Christ is used six times in this text alone that we read, verses three through 10. And Paul will eventually use the phrase in Christ or some variation of it 15 times by the end of Ephesians one. It's used 75 times in the New Testament and 73 times that it's used, it is used by Paul, the apostle, as we talked last week about this apostle of grace. Now remember the principle, whenever God says something, he usually says it twice. Well, what about when God says something 75 times? He wants us to understand what it means to be in Christ, that we are in him. Last week we talked about how Paul taught the gospel from position, not from 
performance. You might also call this positional righteousness. And what I mean by that is that our righteousness before God, our standing before God, our acceptance before God is not based on our moral report card, but it's based on faith in Christ and where that positions us in him. The Bible says we're united with him. Now, Martin Luther, one of the fathers of the Reformation, struggled to understand what it meant to be righteous before God. In fact, it tormented him. But he broke through when he began to understand what it means to be in Christ. In other words, that his righteousness is from his position in Christ, not his performance. Listen to just a little bit of some of the writings of Martin Luther. He said, I struggled terribly with Romans 1.17. The phrase, in it the righteousness of God is revealed, stood in my way. For I hated that phrase, righteousness of God, which according to the use and custom of all the teachers, I'd been taught to understand philosophically regarding the formal or active righteousness, as they called it, with which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. But then he says, at last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written, he who, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which the merciful God justifies us by faith as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered into paradise itself through open gates. There a, total, a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. Now you might not grasp everything he was saying there, but he had this breakthrough, this grace conversion. What is he saying? I'll summarize it like this. Luther is saying, I thought God was demanding that I would be righteous enough to be accepted by him. But then I saw that what he's offering is that Christ would become my righteousness. That it's not my performance. It's not my, uh, my active outward righteousness that ultimately gives me extra points with God and finally balances the scales and gets me in. No, it's Christ's work. It's Christ's righteousness and my faith in him that Jesus wants to be my righteousness. Now, if there's any students uh, watching this video today. Elementary school, high school, college students, Bible school students. It's kind of like if you had a, a, a grade of a 17 on your test. By the way, it's not a good grade. That's below average. If you had a 17 on your test and the smartest person in the room came along and said, hey, give me your test. I'll write my name on yours and you write your name on mine. Don't you see? Jesus took your failing grade, he wrote his name on your test and you got his 100. Maybe you're listening to that and you go, well, that's not fair. Ah, now you're starting to understand grace and what it means to be in Christ. The text actually goes as far as to say that we are made blameless in him. Now, how is that possible? What is that saying? If you don't understand what this is saying, that, that Jesus becomes our righteousness, you might slip into legalism and think, well, then I gotta live a blameless life. Well, you can't, first of all. Even if you achieve it externally, you won't be able to do it internally. So there has to be another way. Paul said in the book of Philippians that 
he gained a righteousness outside of his moral record. He found a different kind of righteousness that's found in Christ. So where's the blessing? Where's the spiritual geography? It's in him. It's in Christ. It's in his righteousness. And we position ourselves in him. We have to go to the right spot, folks, to find the blessing. The right spot. The map of the gospel points us to Jesus and our faith in him. I had an amazing dream a few years ago, a pretty profound spiritual dream. I dreamt that I was sharing the gospel with a not yet Christian. And I was pleading with this person to believe in Jesus. And this guy was defending his own merits and his own righteousness. And he said, he said, I do believe in God. In my dream, he said, I believe in God, but I just, I don't need to go through Jesus to get to him. I, I, can, I, can, I can earn his love myself. I'm, I'm a good person. I, I live a good life. And he's sort of defending his own righteousness in that way. And in my dream, I said something that I never thought of before. I never heard it before. And I said to him, I said, don't you understand? God doesn't accept you or me and our good works. God accepts Christ. God accepts Christ. And I woke up and I'm like, that's pretty good. I'll write that down, include that in a sermon sometime. Here it is right here. God accepts Christ. It says in Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he, has, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. God is not drawn to you or to me. He's only drawn to Jesus Christ within. Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. God accepts Christ. We're in him. That's the spot. That's the, that's the geography. That's the secret place where the blessing is found. The blessing is in Christ. Okay, so that's where it is. Now, what is it? What is the blessing? Back to verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, the question I just asked is, what is the blessing? And, and more accurately, I should ask, what are the blessings? Because this text says that God just lavished upon us. You know, he, he spoiled us in a sense. With, he just gave us blessing upon blessing. Every single blessing, the text indicates. So what is it? Let's look at the, the word, blessed. It, it means to speak well of. It's the Greek word eulageo. And it's the origin of the English word we have, eulogy. So th that means to speak well of a person, right? You eulogize someone, you say some kind, reflective thoughts at their memorial gathering or their funeral service. It means, I bless. It means to speak well and good. So what does this mean? What is the blessing? It means that God speaks well of you. That's, that's incredible. That God would speak well of you in spite of your moral report card, in spite of your record, God in Christ speaks well of you and of me. This means he thinks fondly of you in Christ. Remember that we were enemies of God. The scripture is very clear on that. And so to really understand the blessing, it's important to understand what we were before this blessing in order to understand the blessing. We actually had a group at my house last night. We were just talking about the idea that grace looks more beautiful the more we understand our spiritual condition without it. And so what we have to understand is 
to say that God speaks well of us, we have to see that that wasn't always the case. I'm reading out of Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, which uh, Paul is, is referencing uh, some of the Psalms here when, when he quotes this. Here's what it says. None is righteous. This is God talking. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Yikes. That's tough to hear. And maybe, maybe you're listening to me teach on this and you're going, you see, I don't like that. This, this is exactly what I hate about religion. This idea that we're, 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 we're fallen sinners and, and that you know, no one does good, this whole idea. Well, two things. First of all, I didn't write the Bible. Right? The Bible is the inspired word of God and, and we believe that God through his Holy Spirit inspired uh, men to write the scriptures and give us his truth. So th- this is God speaking of us and, and our spiritual condition as a result of the fall. Second, when we say, well, I don't like that. I mean, ultimately, when I have those struggles, I ultimately end up going, well, so what? <laughs> the f- does, does the fact that I don't like something mean it's not true? What would you think of someone who told a doctor after the doctor said, listen, we, we've taken tests and I've got some bad news, you have cancer. What would, you, what would you think of the person who said, I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. So I, I reject it as, it's not my truth. <laughs> does that matter? Like, does that change reality? It doesn't change, it wouldn't change their physical reality. And the fact that something is prickly and, and, and you know, maybe an unpopular view in modern culture and makes us feel uncomfortable, does that make it not true? It doesn't make it not true. So let's, instead of rejecting it, let's deal with it and let's see what the scriptures have to say here because listen, that, that, those verses from the Psalms make me uncomfortable too. To hear about my spiritual condition, my brokenness, my weakness, but that's why I believe in Jesus. You see, that the, the, the reality of our sinful condition is not meant to keep us down in this, you know, in the dumps, in this low self-esteem ditch of life. It's, it's supposed to be a ministry that points us to Jesus Christ, that we would see his grace. Now remember, part of the definition of we are blessed in Christ with spiritual blessings, we're, we're, we're blessed in the heavenly places, means that he speaks well and good over us. That means that some, somewhere between the Psalms, when David wrote that, and what the New Testament says of us in Christ, somewhere that assessment of us changed. And we talk so much about sin as Christians, and we ought to because it helps us to understand grace. But do you know that God once did speak over his creation, it is good? When he created the world and he created Adam and Eve and, and he looked at his creation, the Bible says in early Genesis that God said it is good. But then came the fall and God was grieved. And he in a sense said, it is not good. And Adam and Eve felt it in their souls. They felt the shame of it and they ran from God. And you and I feel it in our souls as well and we run from God. But then came Jesus and the gospel of grace. And in the gospel, in the good news, last week we we talked about how Paul summarized it, the gospel of God's grace. In the gospel of God's grace, God declares again over people who believe in Jesus, it is good. 
Through Christ, God eulogizes us. He speaks well over us. We're blessed in Christ. Remember when Jesus stepped into the Jordan River to be baptized? A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now the the gospel teaches that Jesus switched places with us. He's our substitute. He, He died a sinner's death so that we could live the life of a prince or princess, the children of God. We could become children of God. And now we're united with him. So what does that mean? That means that what God spoke over Christ, that same affirming love, God now speaks over us who are in him. So what does God speak over you and I today who live by faith? He says, it is good. This is my son, this is my daughter. With her, I'm I'm well pleased. I love you. And just imagine that love that the father had for the son for all of eternity. We now stand in the sun rays of that because we're in Christ. God speaks well of us in the gospel. And then the text says, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He, He begins to... Uh, unpack that and elaborate on what those blessings are. And it's just so, so generous the way he describes it. Every, every spiritual blessing, like God withheld nothing from, from us. We have all things in Christ. So understand because of our union with Christ, because we're in him, we have in a sense what he has. And I love, I love the way the new living translation um, says this, this same verse here. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. It's beautiful. Now, what are those blessings? He begins to lay that out and unpack that in this text. And I'm just gonna pull out some some words and phrases that describe the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Verse four, chosen. Verse four, made blameless. Verse four, we're loved. Verse five, predestined to adoption as sons. Verse seven, redemption, we're redeemed. Verse seven, we're forgiven. Let's start remembering our spiritual blessings as we give thanks to God. Now let's hone in specifically on a couple of these just to, just to encourage us on what we have in Christ, our inheritance in Christ. It says we're chosen. And this idea of being chosen goes along with the idea of being loved and predestined. Now, some people don't like that word predestined because it feels like I'm out of control. I, I feel like I, I'm being you know, manipulated. But wait, this word is listed right here among the great blessings of the gospel. Now, I'll get more into this topic next week specifically, which is a central theme of Paul's writings and certainly chapter one, but just some brief thoughts on it. I think sometimes... The reason we have a problem with the idea of predestination is because we feel so protective over our free will. But predestination is not a dirty word and it doesn't destroy human choices. It simply tells us where the power to make those choices comes from. It teaches us how God empowers by his grace our broken enslaved wills to choose him. As a matter of fact, the word predestination appears seven times in the New Testament. So it was a central theme of the early apostles' teaching. That's why it concerns me when someone just sort of broad brush, you know, just carte blanche rejects this and says, well, I don't believe in predestination. To deny the word itself would be silly since the term comes from scripture and is included in the teachings of the apostles. You'd have to cross out a whole bunch of verses in your Bible if that were the case. 
Clearly, predestination is a biblical reality. We just have to figure out what it actually means and why it's there. And I will tell you that it's there not to discourage you, but to encourage you and to deepen your gratitude and worship of God. So let's look back in the text and look at exactly what it says in verses four and five. It says, in love, he predestined us to be children of God. So ultimately, when we combine these ideas of being chosen, predestined, and loved, and we put all those together, the simplest conclusion of it all is that we are foreloved. Now, how does that not deeply encourage us? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You were loved by God before the foundation of the world. He had his eye on you who have faith in Christ, you who follow Jesus. He had his eye on you before the foundation of the world. Think about it this way, and this moves my heart so much. Jesus was the first one to love me. Before father and mother, before any lover, Jesus was the first one ever to love me. And maybe this world has dealt you a bad hand and you don't feel loved by people who should love you. Maybe you had broken relationships with, within your family or broken relationships with friends or within the community. We can be deeply encouraged and stand on this solid rock, this stable ground, when we understand this idea of being predestined in love to adoption as sons and daughters, that Jesus was the first one to love us. Before we ever did a thing, before we ever performed a single good deed or bad deed, he loved us in Christ. And that, that should bring security and worship into our hearts. Now, maybe you're more of a romantic. Okay, well, think of it this way then. When a man has an eye for a woman, he says, ah, that one is mine. I have predestined you to be mine. That's what happened when I laid eyes on Heidi Jo, my, my wife of 27 years. I looked at her one day when I was a teenager, and I said, I predestined you to be mine, and I will use my powers of persuasion to win your heart. Well, God has infinite powers of persuasion, and his spirit moves on our hearts with that irresistible grace where he wins our hearts and he changes our desires, he changes our want to. And we say, ah, God is wonderful. The, the love of the Father is everything. Jesus and his cross are beautiful. And so he's chosen us, he's foreloved us. This text also says we're adopted. So we're not only forgiven by the judge of all the earth, which is a very uh, is a very wonderful thought, but the judge is also my father. We are loved by God with family love. And John says, because we are children of God, we have no fear of condemnation or judgment. Why? Because if you're in Christ, that means your sins have been judged already and God will never judge the same sin twice. So that removes fear of his condemnation and wrath and judgment because that was already poured out on Jesus Christ. And now we can, we can walk in the joy of knowing that the judge is my father. I have a friend named Mike, troublemaker in elementary school, got in trouble again, was sent to the principal's office and the teacher said, get in there, I'll see you later, and left. Mike went into the principal's office and the principal looked at him and said, what are you doing in here again, Mike? Shut the door. Principal sat down and said, Mike, what happened? What's going on? Why are you in here again? And Mike said, I'm sorry, Uncle Vic. Uncle Vic. 
And all of a sudden, it was this lighthearted moment between an uncle and his nephew. Not that he didn't take his sin seriously, but, but at the end of the day, Mike knew he was going to be okay because the, the principal was his uncle. And the gospel teaches us that we are the children of God. The judge is my father. I've been adopted in Christ Jesus. The judge is my father. The judge is your father. And therefore, John, one of Christ's disciples says, we, we don't fear the coming judgment because perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And so we're forgiven, we're foreloved, and we become, as we talked about last week, saints and sons and daughters of God. And so we live in this joy of knowing that the wrath of God, we're out of the crosshairs of the, of the wrath of God and has been put on the Lord Jesus. And we walk in the joy of that and the gratitude of that and the humility of that. So where's the blessing? It's in Christ. What is the blessing? He speaks well of us now. He looks fondly upon us in Christ. We're out of the crosshairs of God's wrath. We've been chosen, justified, and adopted. And finally, I want to answer the question, why? Why would he do it? Why the blessing? Let's go back to verse three. He's blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says, blessed be the God and Father. Now, this time the word bless is different than the word blessing that's referring to us. Where the blessings mentioned for us are nouns, when it refers to God being blessed, it's actually an adjective. It's a Greek word, eulagetos, and it means entitled to receive a blessing from man worthy of praise. This word eulagetos is only used of God the Father and Christ, God the Son. Now, the Greek language had very specific words for specific purposes, far more specific than our English language. Maybe some of you are familiar with the multiple words for love in Greek. You know, agape, phileo, uh, eros, for example. And all all the the word love, but they, they mean something different. Well, this word blessed was used specifically for God. Only God could be blessed like this because it's about worship of God. So why the blessing? Why would he offer it? Well, because it blesses him and it glorifies him. It brings honor to him. So let's put these ideas together, what we've been talking about today in today's text. We're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing because it blesses God and it glorifies God. Listen to this um, verse from the Psalms. Psalm 116 verses 12 and 13, the psalmist says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. What a strange answer to the question, what shall I render with the answer I will take? I will take the cup of salvation. Don't you see? It blesses God when we take and receive what he's offering us in Christ. And it wouldn't bless him at all if we rejected it. And we understand this as parents, don't we? You know, around Christmas time, you know, we get gifts for our children. We want to bless them. And it blesses us as parents to give those gifts to our children. What if one of my children, you know, took the big gift, you know, uh, I don't know, we got Jack a big, uh, a big uh, bait caster fishing pole with my 11 year old son this year. What if he opened it up and he looked at it and he goes, this is great. This is beautiful, but I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy to receive the gift. So take it from me, father. 
because I'm unworthy. And yet people do that all the time. They look at their own moral record, their own unworthiness, and they reject the offer of salvation that God's giving through Christ because they look at their own unworthiness. And my, my message to you today and the message of this text is that that does not bless or honor or glorify God. When we look at our own moral uh, record, our own merits or lack thereof, and we reject the things that God is offering here in Ephesians 1 on the basis of our performance, that does not bless the Father any more than it would not bless you if your children rejected your gifts on Christmas or their birthday. David says, what shall I render to the Lord for his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation. Drink the cup of salvation. That blesses God when he sees you drink of that and what he's offered in Christ. It blesses him so much and it glorifies him as well. So blessing us blesses him, but it also puts the praise and glory squarely on him. Grace glorifies the giver of grace. And if it's not about us, if it didn't come from us, if it couldn't come from us, then in the end, God and God alone gets the glory for our salvation and the blessings we have in Christ. That's why it says in verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. So why the blessing? Because he's a God of grace and he wants you to see that. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to know that. And we see all of it most clearly in the cross, that the blessings of the gospel are not for the heroes and the achievers, The blessings Paul's talking about are for the weak and the broken, for losers and have-nots, for fools and failures. And aren't you glad? Worship Jesus, go to him, thank him for your spiritual blessings that you have in Christ. And now the end of the text. One day, all of this will end in the full worship of Christ in the universe. Verses nine and 10, indicates that there's something wrong right now between heaven and earth, but that won't last forever. Let's look at the final two verses. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He's going to unite heaven and earth one day. And right now there seems to be this brokenness. You can feel it, right? There's this disunity between heaven and earth. There's this There's this tragic brokenness, this fracturing that we are experiencing now. But one day, like a king entering a room on the day of his inauguration, God will unite heaven and earth again. And Jesus will reign as king over all of his creation. In Philippians, it says that every knee will bow to him in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And they will declare Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of God the Father. One day God will unite all things in him and Jesus will be ultimately glorified where he was humiliated here in this world. Everything you see now is temporary, but it will pass away. And the picture that I just gave you that this text gives us is our forever and we'll all be a part of it. Some Thoughts in closing, some application. How do we apply this? Some encouragements. Number one, I want to encourage you to dig into doctrine. In the Old Testament book of Hosea, it says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Right? So sometimes we we, uh, lack experience from what we have in, in God and in the gospel because we lack 
knowledge. We're not applying ourselves to the truth. We have this great Bible reading plan here at Redeeming Hope. We wanna encourage you to read the Bible with us. We gather in groups. We wanna encourage you to gather in groups and discuss these Bible texts and let the gospel get down in there and let doctrine fill up our heads and give us iron spines to walk through this world as aliens and strangers with the joy of the Lord by faith in Christ. Number two, I wanna encourage you to be a vessel of blessing. God blessed us in Christ. He generously blessed us when we were undeserving. And Jesus said in Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. So if blessing is to speak well of a person, then I want to encourage you to speak the best version of a person and be a safe person and forgive others when they hurt you. Forgive others when they wrong you. Now I know forgiveness runs directly against nature, because we have such a high uh, desire for justice, but the Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. When we remember the way that God loved us and forgave us and showed grace to us, we can love and show grace and forgiveness to our brothers and sisters in Christ, even to our enemies. So as God has blessed us, let's be people who speak blessings and are vessels of blessing to other people as well. And finally, number three, just to repeat, I wanna encourage you to be grateful and practice gratitude for your spiritual blessings as well as your natural ones. Because sometimes our gratitude falls short. But as we've looked at this today and considered these things today, my hope is that you would feel the joy of these things and begin to practice. Because in practicing gratitude, we actually stir up the joy that comes along with remembering that we are chosen and loved and adopted and forgiven. And we have this inheritance in Christ as well. We're blessed in Christ. You're blessed in Christ. You might not feel it right now. You might, you might be struggling right now in a, you know, in a time when uh, you just feel like you know, God isn't around or you feel like the heavens are brass and maybe your prayers aren't getting answered. But this tells us our spiritual reality. We are blessed in Christ. And I want to encourage you to put faith in the promises of God, which are for you, brother and sister, that we could walk in the joy of the Lord and let them shape us as we move forward in the mission to Clarksville that we have together here at Redeeming Hope. Thanks for joining me today. God bless you, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.